You're listening to Kitchen Table Finance. Join Dave Shotwell and Nick Nauta as they cut through the complexity of financial planning and serve bites of investment advice that are both personal and practical. Hey Dave, how's it going today? Not bad, Nick. How are you? Fantastic. Got another exciting topic on board. One of our uh, favorite pastimes is uh, quarterly market review, right? Yeah, yeah. It's that time again already. And uh, just breezing through the year here. It's the dog days of summer already. The year's half over. And uh, it's been a uh, overall pretty positive experience in the uh, stock markets and uh, not so bad in the bond markets either, all things considered. Yeah. And I think, you know, to be honest with you, I think that's sort of surprising for a lot of people. I know a lot of people that I talk to who don't necessarily follow the market all that often, they're kind of surprised that when I tell them, you know, I think the market's having a pretty decent yeah. year, actually, all things considered. And last year was a real good year. Right. So. And yeah, just goes to show you how hard these things are to predict. Right. That's the end. At the end of the day, we always loop back to that. But, uh, you know, it's it's been a common theme, pretty much dating back 12 months now, that how, you know, when everything feels so cruddy, how can the markets continue to do so well? And uh, it's interesting, but, um, you know, part of me always says, as long as people are skeptical that the market should be doing well, there's still room for them to do better. And to a lot of people, that's, that's counterintuitive, but it means, you know, as long as, as long as people are still skeptical about how well the money, the markets are doing, it means they haven't put all their money in yet. And, uh, you know, when that happens is when, you really, you know, the, I guess maybe the, the contrary illustration is from like back in the, the tech bubble of 2000, 1999, you know, you had, you had people coming in that had no business buying high flying, scary, you know, volatile tech stocks asking for them by name. And, uh, you know, in retrospect, that should have been a, been right. a clue, right? That, that things were a little bit too crazy that everybody wanted these things. So there's only, at some point, there's no more buyers left, right? I think you're absolutely right about that. And, um, you know, I think another thing that people forget about is the market really is a forecast of what it's going to be like in six months, not necessarily what's going on right now at this moment in time. So I think a lot of people forget that dynamic. Right. And at the end of the day, we're still in a situation where um, people have money to spend because they couldn't spend as much last year. There was a lot of government surplus or a lot of uh, government stimulus put into the pockets of uh, American spenders. And, uh, you know, things look pretty good for American corporations right now. And that is what drives the stock market is growth in earnings. And, uh, you know, looking out ahead, things look pretty darn good still. Yeah. And, and, you know, some of that stimulus is still going on. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's people out there getting um, child tax credit installments at $500 a piece from now until the end of the year. And so some of that stimulus is still happening as we speak. Now, they just extended uh, student loan repayment to the end of January, I think, and 0%. Nobody has to make student loan payments until end of January now. They say this is the last time, but I guess we'll believe that when we see it. They're much, they're much more firm about it this yeah. time, so I wouldn't doubt them on that, on that yeah. front. Yeah. So. so you know, but at the end of the day, all of that adds up to potentially a positive for American companies, and uh, which means a positive for the American markets. You know, on the flip side, the the biggest concern lately has been inflation, which is that there's too much stimulus going on and too much 
too many dollars chasing uh, too few goods. And uh, we have seen um, higher short-term inflation here than anybody expected. Um, you know, over the last uh, couple of months, I, at the end of June, the uh, consumer price index was clicking along around uh, 5% after its highest uh, increase in almost 13 years. So we are seeing some of that inflation, and that's definitely a concern for investors. And, uh, you know, we've talked about that a couple of times. Yeah, you know, inflation is, it's just a tough thing right now because you're getting it on the demand side. Obviously, a lot of people with money mm -hmm. are trying to spend, but there's also that supply side where we're not getting as much stuff as quickly as we're accustomed to. And there's been a lot of backlog in supply now that's been frustrating for companies um, as well. And we've talked about this a couple of times over the last few months on, on the podcast and in some of our articles, but there, there's really three elements to inflation right now. And one is what economists call the base effect, meaning, you know, what you're, when you're measuring from a low point, which last spring was was kind of a low point in economic growth. It was a, a recession caused by COVID. So that was depressionary or deflationary, I should say. And so we're measuring gro the growth in inflation off a really low point um, doesn't really mean anything in the long run. And then the other thing, second point about current inflation is a lot of it is still based on supply chain disruptions and things from the uh, shutdowns last year that, you know, mines sat empty, mills weren't operating at full capacity, factories had to cut back and orders were canceled that take time to ramp up like what we're seeing with automakers and computer chips right now. And so that's created some short-term inflation that will iron itself out as, uh, as the economy returns to full capacity. You know, lumber is a good example. We saw lumber spike um drastically this spring and it's already started to come back down as two things happen mills and you know foresters start uh producing more lumber and builders and people like you and me that were going to do renovations say well i'll just wait and put it off and those two things together help bring the price back down but the third part of inflation that may be a little bit more long term is you know some of this stuff like the increases in prices we've seen in food and food service and wages, those will be a little bit harder to, to see come back down, I think. So some of that is probably is probably with us in the long run. Yeah, for sure. Um, to just reiterate your point as well, I read an article not too long ago that there's some used cars that are selling for more <laughs> than a brand new right. car of the same model. Right. Um, just because of the supply issues. So, you know, everybody kind of knows when you buy a used car and drive it off a lot, you have this huge drop in value, but that's just not happening with the supply issues right now. So, and I think you're absolutely right on the uh, food side and, you know, the wage increases and what we're seeing with, you know, trying to get those, some of those industries that were hard hit, had a lot of people leave, but, you know, they're definitely fighting to kind of figure out what this all looks like post pandemic and, and some prices are probably not coming back down for industries like that, I would anticipate. It's hard to uh, to have to boost somebody's wages, you know, in the high teens area to get them to come to work during, during problem times and then take them back down to, uh, you know, minimum wage later on. Um, I just, I, I'll be surprised if that happens. So um, some of that is here to stay for sure. 
But, you know, also keep in mind, I, I guess the last two things about inflation and we can move on is, you know, inflation, as long as it's contained, is the sign of a healthy growing economy. And, you know, in the long run, if you're paying more for goods, that money's going into higher corporate profits. So it's not like it disappears, but that money gets paid out to workers. It gets paid, it gets paid out to other people, right? And then they're spending that money and growing the economy. And the net effect, even if it's costing you a little bit more, isn't necessarily a negative overall as we see, you know, sort of see growth in the long run. And the other thing too is in terms of the market and what it means, you know, every time we get, to me, it's one of those things that separates traders from investors. You know, when, when headlines come out and inflation is, is a little scarier than today than maybe we thought it was going to be, you know, when, when a report comes out from the Federal Reserve or some measure, um, you know, gets announced. And uh, you, you'll see in the short run, yes, that can be bad for those companies that can't raise their prices or, you know, different or, or companies that derive their profits from consumer discretionary spending, things we have choices over. But that's just a kind of a trading effect. And again, because it's good for the economy in the long run to have some inflation, if you're an investor, you can ignore those little volatile swings around inflation and, uh, you know, know that in the long run, it's, it's a good thing for you as an investor. On the other hand, though, inflation is kind of the enemy of bonds, right? Yeah. You know, and, and a lot of our investors are, are in a, you know, moderate mix and, and just keep in mind, you know, that uh, while inflation isn't good for bonds, that's why we're, you know, why we're diversified and, and own stocks and bonds in a, in a mix for the appropriate risk levels. Not that we expect bonds are ever going to outperform stocks, but they do have less volatility. So just keep that in mind when you hear talking heads talk about, uh, you know, on TV, why, why certain, certain assets are going to do poorly in certain environments. Well, none of this is a given. You know, we don't know exactly how inflation is going to play out. And we don't know exactly how growth is going to play out. So we own a, own a good mix of everything. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And to go back to that, um, you know, inflation being the enemy of bonds, it's also going to be an issue for people holding on to too much cash. Right. And it's one of those dynamics that's really challenging because if you have cash and you're at, in the bank earning 0.01% or whatever it is that most banks are paying and you see inflation at five, well, that's a real negative correlation. And so you want to resist the urge to do something mm -hmm. and you know take all your cash and put it into something that's going to outpace inflation and then not be able to have the cash that you need to do the things right. that you need to do if emergencies arise or things like that. So we've been having a lot of conversations with clients around what's the appropriate amount of cash to have and to be okay sitting in cash at a low interest rate because it's better than trying to pull money out of the market and because usually that, you know, Murphy's Law, what can go wrong right. will go wrong. And so right. the market's always not behaving properly when you're trying to pull money out of it. Right. So it's about balance. Don't, yeah, yeah, what you're getting at is don't let the low interest rate environment force you to take risk that you shouldn't be taking you know and uh and and for right, sure exactly um so when we look at what the year has looked like so far well we'll look at look at second quarter first you know the u.s stock market is measured by the russell 3000 which is my favorite measure because it covers the entire u.s market was up about eight and a quarter percent 8.24 to be precise 
the quarter. And that's a, that's a pretty solid uh, three months right there. Um, international developed stocks were, uh, were up 5.65%. And emerging markets about a little over 5% at 505. The real, uh, the real boost this last uh, quarter was from real estate, where we saw global real estate up over 10% per quarter. So, uh, you know, pretty much across the board, a lot of, lot of, lot of positive, strong returns so far. You know, everything had a really good quarter, and I love how this chart, which we will um, link to the show notes, um, kind of puts it in perspective. Is you know, the average quarter, for example, the U.S. stock market was up eight on average. It's up about two point four. Right. So that gives you some perspective on you know how good of a quarter this really was. On, on the bond side of things, for the quarter, uh, the U.S. broad bond market was up one point eight three percent, and global bonds were up 035 percent. Now, that's on the back of it actually being a negative quarter in uh, the first uh, first part of the year. So, um, you know, the net for the year in the bond market is actually a little bit negative at negative 0.33%. But that is the only broad asset class that's down for the year so far. And that's barely down. Pretty strong uh, performance overall. Yeah, it's been a, a good year across the board, and you know that always that always makes it easier, makes discussions easier for sure. So, um, really, some positive things come out as far as markets and returns go this year. You know, we also have a chart in our uh, our packet for uh, for this last quarter that shows the one year returns. You know, looking back to you know June thirtieth, twenty twenty one to June thirtieth, twenty twenty, and it's almost yeah. it's really not useful to talk about it because you know the, back to what we were calling the base effect with inflation, things were still bouncing back at, at the end of June, twenty twenty one, and so like the U.S. market for the for those twelve months was up forty four percent. I think we can just kind of kind of stick with talking about what's happened so far this year and what the quarter looks like. Not focused on the. the the twelve-month returns because it, it's just try it's a it's a very nice positive number, but it's very distracting. It doesn't really, you know, tell you much about what the world's. It, it tells you a lot about what the world went through, but it doesn't tell you where anything is trending right now for sure. Yeah, and it's you know with the timing issues of when these were put together and what one year ago was, it really is kind of skewed by that right. you know drop in the market that's not no longer included in those one year numbers. Right. So, and, and interestingly enough, too, something I want to touch on a little bit is if you start looking at the five and the ten year numbers, which are on here, you start to see some divergence between what the U.S. stock market has done and what international markets have done, mm-hmm. and we have been fielding some questions along the lines of. You know, at what point do we just go all U.S. Um, <laughs> stock and forget about international markets? And the answer to that question is probably ten years yeah, ago. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, and like the more back to back to the back to where we we started this conversation, the more people that ask that make me think it's time to buy more international. And what what Nick's getting at here is on the ten year chart, yeah, yeah. If we look at the uh, the ten year average return for the U.S. market has been fourteen point seven percent. It's awesome. And the average for international developed stocks has been 5.7 over that same time frame. So while, you know, 5.7% a year average growth is good, um, is below, it's a below average return for overall stocks, while 14.7 is above average. So if, you'd, if we had, you know, gone all in on U.S. stocks 10 years ago, yeah, it, your returns would be a lot better. 
but who would have ever, you know, guessed that that kind of outperformance would have persisted for 10 years. And right about the time you feel like it's time to uh, throw in the towel and just switch to all U.S. will be the, the next quarter will be the one where international starts to take over. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the same can be, you know, we've been having that same conversation on small versus large company stocks, same conversation, you know, value versus growth stocks. Value and growth. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, and, and I guess this comes back to that point that you made, which I love about, you know, traders versus investors, you know, as an investor, you're not looking to time the market, you're not looking to be perfect and outperform, you're looking to participate at a lower risk level. And that's really, you know, how we believe in investing right. over the long term, because these things are cyclical. And it all comes, you know, it all comes around eventually. And, and so not trying to beat the markets or time the market, but just trying to get a good return with as low risk as possible is what we're trying to do. And not everybody believes that philosophy, but it's been tried and true and worked very well. Right. Um, and so it just kind of depends on, on what you're trying to accomplish as far as making those kinds of decisions. Take that a, another step. You know, if you were trying to predict what to do next, the best indicator of where the market returns are going to be better in the future is relative valuations, which is basically looking at how much companies are earning versus their, you know, what their price of their shares are. And so, if this U.S. stock market has outperformed international stocks, you know, fourteen percent to five percent over the last ten years, and those companies are still growing and still making money internationally, where do you think the relative value is going forward? You know, which would, would you rather buy right. uh, European companies on sale or U.S. companies when they're more expensive? So, you know, time will tell, time will tell, but that's why we're diversified and why we're patient and why we're investors and not traders. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And, and, you know, patience, I think, is the hard part for a lot of people, especially, you know, people that are into watching the market and seeing what the trends are Mm -hmm. is, you know, being patient and, you know, not doing anything, avoiding making changes is probably some of the hardest things to do as an investor. But, you know, every time it eventually comes around and, you know, if you're diversified and patient, good things will happen. You know, where, where do we, where do we look to next? We've always liked this piece that we, uh, we get from SEI every quarter called the good news, good news and bad news. So on the good side of the ledger, the positive stuff, you know, we've seen global activity, economic activity continue to ramp up as vaccination rates have climbed and uh, developed countries and more vaccines are in developed countries and more vaccines are being sent to emerging ones. Now we're like three or four weeks out from the end of the quarter. And right now we're seeing uh, uh, some of this philosophy or this, this point be tested by the uh, Delta variant of the uh, COVID-19. But uh, Mm. so far we haven't seen too much economic impact. So we'll see where things head from here. So point number two on the good news size is above average economic growth, pricing power amid persistent shortages and fiscal additional fiscal measures and suppressed interest rate levels provide the perfect backdrop to equity market performance. And that's a that's econo- that's economist talk for the environment is still very positive for stocks right now. Um, companies are coming out of last year's slowdown, lean and mean and ready to make money and people are ready to spend money. So that's a positive. 
So the folks that wrote this remain optimistic that the more cyclical and value-oriented sectors and geographies will bounce back from their modest stumble in June. And remember, at the end of the uh, last quarter, um, we had seen uh, some volatility in the markets around the inflation news. We have seen that bounce back here over the last couple of weeks. And lastly, although investors are concerned that the Federal Reserve will tighten monetary policy sooner than expected, equities still tend to do well in the year following the first rate hike. So that's addressing inflation concerns and that the Federal Reserve will then have to raise interest rates to slow down inflation, which worries um, stock investors. So SEI's take on that is that uh, even if that does happen, it wouldn't be too drastic an effect. Sure. Some some positive stuff. Yeah, sure. You can you can be the good news. I'll be the bad <laughs> cop. Uh, some positive stuff on the on the good news. Uh, on the bad news side, you know, the virus continues to evolve, forcing countries and regions into destructive lockdowns. And we've seen some of that with the Delta variant. You know, it's an ever-evolving situation. And what that means is there's going to be volatility every day when there's a new report about a new variant or states going into lockdowns or countries going into lockdowns, that's going to spike volatility. And you're mm-hmm. going to see an increase in that as that continues. The waves, the second point is the, the waves of economic recovery that will likely be experienced around the world could resemble an extended upcycle that keeps the pressure on supply chains. Um, and so as the economy starts to recover, are we going to be able to keep up with supply? And is that going to drag things right. down? The third point being a uh, Credit growth in China has turned negative um, and the economic surprises have been on the downside recently. This can be bad news for commodities and emerging markets. So some pressure on you know those sections of the market. And then lastly, aggressive government policy responses staved off more serious economic downturn, but they have encouraged excessive risk-taking in financial assets. So we talked about that kind of on the personal side, but you know, mm-hmm. it, the bigger deal for the economy and the overall market is what are companies doing because of some of this. Uh, have they taken too much risk given where, you know, how much credit was available as well as what interest rates were doing, you know, that sometimes can come back mm-hmm. to to haunt us down the road if there's too much risk going on um, in, in financial assets. Plenty of, uh, plenty of things to still be concerned about or keep an eye on. Um, but some good points and uh, which will win out, time will tell. And as we joked earlier this year, you know, it'll be the thing that we don't, that we haven't thought of or that nobody expected that uh, really drives the next uh, phase of the markets, the good or the bad. Yeah, so it's always what you can't see coming that uh, haunts you in, on the investment cycle and, you know, and looking at, you know, crashes yep. or, you know, downturns in the market. And so, well, you know, and that's why being diversified and staying patient really pays off. Well, and another thing to keep in mind, and I was thinking about this as you're running down the you know four or five bullet points of things we need to be concerned about. There's an old cliche that um, says a bull market climbs a wall of worry, and you know without without there being things to worry about, there'd be no risk, right? And without risk, there'd be no return mm. above what you make in the bank. So you know the the worry and the, the concern is the price you pay for getting that, you know, that 14% average return in the U.S. markets over the last 10 years, or more importantly, the 7.5% on a diversified moderate growth portfolio over the last 75 years. 
you know, that, that, that includes those good years and bad years and always things to be, be concerned about. There's always going to be potential bad news. Yeah, absolutely. We have a, a neat chart um, in our packet that kind of goes over. This is what the market's done, and here's all the mm-hmm. you know crazy stuff that's happened in the last. Oh, that years. yeah, the headline so chart. I love that. Interesting, yes. but yeah, you're right. There's always always bad news. Right. Yeah, the headline. Yeah, always bad news, and you know, but you know, if uh, there's one that goes back, you know, hundred years, and there's all sorts of stuff, and the market just kind of keeps going yep. up slowly over yep. time. So and. Uh, you don't want to bet against it, not in the long run. So we'll uh, we'll have our full uh, packet of charts posted on the website along with the notes from this conversation. And uh, we uh, we always welcome questions and comments. So uh, let us know if there's something you'd like to hear or something you're particularly worried about. Um, we'd love to uh, have topics to uh, to bring to you. Yeah, that's right. And if you have questions or a topic you'd like to hear, email us at info at srbadvisors.com. Um, and then you can also find all the charts and the, our uh, quarterly review packet in the show notes of today's show on our website, srbadvisors.com. Great. Thank you, Nick. You bet, Dave. We will do this again soon. Gather around and follow the Kitchen Table Finance Podcast to learn about money and simple ways you can invest right now. You can find more practical advice at srbadvisors.com and contact the team for personal planning by emailing info at srbadvisors.com.